Hi, everyone, and welcome back once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Winter and Spring Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it is my honor to be with you today. Thanks for joining me. It is Wednesday, February 9th. We're continuing in our study of Ezekiel. In fact, today is the last day in Ezekiel, and next week we're moving to Daniel, the second part of our series. Now, in today's study, the theme is how God values all human life. Now, there are three texts we're going to be looking at today. They are Ezekiel 16, 20, and 21, Ezekiel 23, 36 to 39, and Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name, thanking you for the opportunity we have to study your word. Thanks for all that have come to join today. Father, bless this time. Open our hearts and minds to receive you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Absolutely. You know, values shape our priorities. We invest time, energy, money, and other resources into what we value. Our values also shape how we interact with others. For example, if we value our jobs or tasks more than the other people with whom we work, our interactions with others may become cold and calculated. We see them as objects, not as people. The Bible teaches that God values all human life. Therefore, we should as well. And that leads into our first question today. Are you ready? How can a person's values get in the way of treating others with dignity? Sadly, the fact is that sometimes people don't always treat each other in a way that acknowledges their value as a human being. I think there can be any number of reasons for that, such as we don't believe the person deserves it or our ego won't allow it. Maybe it's unnatural in the face of conflict or we don't know how to treat others with dignity. Question number two, what makes valuing others a vital characteristic for the believer? In short, we should value others because it is a Christ-like thing to do. That makes sense, right? Romans 12 verses nine and 10 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. God's command for us to delight in honoring each other involves love. To honor means to give a person high value and respect. As Christians, we honor people because they've been created in God's image and because they are brothers and sisters of ours in Christ. Are you ready to explore the text a little bit? All right. You know, a few weeks ago, we observed the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday right there in the middle of January. The passages from Ezekiel and Psalms are bound together by God's value of human life. So we're going to touch on that a bit today. In each setting, God reminded his people that humans are created in his image and therefore all people are to be treated as being valued by God. What a powerful word. And here's a brief outline of what we'll be studying today. First, Ezekiel 16 verses 20 and 21. And we've titled this, Wrongdoing is Justified. Then Ezekiel 23 verses 36 to 39. And this is titled, Callousness Becomes the Norm. And finally, Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, God's Truth Revealed. Let's get those Bibles or Bible apps open to Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 20 and 21. And let's get to study in this first section, Wrongdoing is Justified. Here's what the Word of God says. Then you took your sons and daughters, the children you had born to me, and sacrificed them to your gods. Was your prostitution not enough? Must you also slaughter my children by sacrificing them to idols? 
Wow, that's a strong verse, isn't it? What does it mean in verse 20 when it says, Then you took your sons and daughters, the children you had born to me. The expression, your sons and daughters, the children you had born to me, stressed the fact that these precious children first belonged to the Lord. He had enabled the mothers to conceive them, and he had brought them to birth. Children are a special blessing from God, as both King Solomon and Jesus affirmed in Psalm 127.3 and Mark 10.14-16. Question 2. What does it mean in the last part of verse 20 when it says, Was your prostitution not enough? You see, God was angered and grieved by his people's rejection of him. He rebuked them for taking his gifts and using them to worship idols. They themselves had engaged in illicit sexual activity as worship rites. All those things were bad enough, but then they offered their own children as sacrifices. Next, the question is, what does it mean here in this verse when it says, Must you also slaughter my children by sacrificing them to idols? The statement in this verse here reaffirms that children belong first to God. He created life, and parents did not have the right to determine when their child's lives ended. But the parents clung to their pagan worship practices. They took their children and delivered them to the deities they served to be sacrificed. The parents dedicated themselves and their children to the images of these gods that they served by ending their children's lives. Perhaps they thought they were offering something particularly precious to their gods, and indeed they were. However, God never commanded human sacrifice. In fact, he explicitly forbade it. See Leviticus 18.21. The prophet Jeremiah, a contemporary of Ezekiel, also assured God's people the thought of such evil had never ever entered God's mind. Jeremiah 7.31. Number four, question. How would you characterize the logic of sacrificing a child for the purpose of gaining a favor? I know that question sounds a little odd, but just consider it for a minute. How would you characterize the logic of sacrificing a child for the purpose of gaining a favor? I would characterize that kind of logic as illogical, completely selfish, and utterly tragic. Most of us would never get to a point where we would ever consider sacrificing our children for a false god. It's simply reprehensible to even think about such a thing. But sin can blind a person. It can blind anyone to the point where they can do the unconscionable. Things like sacrificing their own children just so they could gain favor with their gods. Absolutely incredible. Number five, question. What are the dangers of forgetting that all blessings, including children, come from God? When you forget God's generosity, you proudly tell yourself that what you have is what you've achieved. When you forget his generosity, you take credit for what only his blessings could produce. When you forget his generosity, you name yourself as righteous and deserving, and you live an entitled and demanding life. When you forget God's generosity and think you're deserving, and you find it very easy to withhold generosity from others. Proudly, you think that you're getting what you deserve, and they are too. Your proud heart is not tender, so it's not easily moved by the sorrow plight of others. You forget that you are more like than unlike your needy brother and sister, failing to acknowledge that neither of you stands before God as deserving. 
The next point in the outline is called callousness becomes the norm. Part two. Let's read Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 36 through 39. The Lord said to me, Son of man, you must accuse Ahola and Aholabah of all their detestable sins. They have committed both adultery and murder, adultery by worshiping idols and murder by burning as sacrifices the children they bore to me. Furthermore, they have defiled my temple and violated my Sabbath day. On the very day that they sacrificed their children to their idols, they boldly came into my temple to worship. They came in and defiled my house. Ahola and Aholabah were referred to as harlot sisters in the beginning of Ezekiel 23. The name Ahola in Hebrew means her own tabernacle, and Aholabah means my tabernacle is in her. Ahola is the older sister and represents Samaria in the northern kingdom. Aholabah is the younger sister and represents Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. The question is this, number one, according to verse 37, there are four detestable sins that Ahola and Aholabah committed. What are they? First, God said they had committed adultery. Second, God affirmed that blood is on their hands. This idea of bloodshed often designates murder of the helpless, Isaiah 115. In this context, the focus was on the children they sacrificed. Third, with their idols, they've committed adultery. Physical adultery occurred within marriage relationships, but spiritual adultery occurred as the people forsook the Lord to worship Baal and other gods of the peoples of the land. And fourth, God lamented that they have even offered up children whom they have been born to God. The people's children belong first to the Lord. We've said that repeatedly. That's the theme here. But these parents sacrificed them to other gods. The burned flesh of their children became food for the idols they served, and God hated it. Number two, question. What does it mean in verse 38 when it says, they have defiled my temple and violated my Sabbath day? God lamented in verse 38. Furthermore, they have defiled my temple. That's what he said. The people thought they became holy if they merely entered the temple area. Instead, their unclean lives defiled the temple. Check out Jeremiah 7, verses 3 and 4, and Haggai 2, 11 through 14. We should understand the reference as meaning the people continued their pagan ways even as they worshipped God in Jerusalem at the temple. And in the second part of the verse, God's declaration that the people violated my Sabbath day charged that they were not honoring the day as God had commanded, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. They treated it as a common day rather than setting it apart as a special day. The prophet Amos, who prophesied in the 8th century BC, described how God's people saw the Sabbath as a burden. They couldn't wait for it to end so they could resume cheating people. Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. Number three, question. In verse 39, God calls out a detestable double standard of the people. What is it? The people were doing all different kinds of sins at once. The Israelites went so far as to sacrifice their own children to idols and then to sacrifice to the Lord the same day. They made a mockery of worship. We can't praise God and willfully sin at the same time, beloved. That would be like celebrating one's wedding anniversary and then going to bed with your neighbor. That's not good. That is just detestable in God's eyes. Number four, question. How can little sins 
lead to bigger ones. We often see what we think are little sins in our lives and we brush them off. We overlook them, manage them, pretend like they're not even there. But the problem is sin never stays little. Like a weed, it grows, it spreads, it multiplies. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It produces offspring of their sins. Like an invasive vine, it twists itself around our heart, choking out our life. And like a vine-covered forest, it blocks us from the light of life. Sin left unattended or ignored grows and it destroys everything in its path. Number five, question. Can a person become so accustomed to sin that they no longer feel guilty? The short answer here is yes, a person can become numb to sin and therefore not feel guilty at all. The more you do what you know is wrong, even if it feels wonderful, the farther you get away from where God really wants you to be. And every time we fail to quit, our sense of guilt diminishes. Our heart becomes hardened and our conscience becomes even more calloused. Number six, question. What safeguards might a person put in place to keep from becoming calloused towards sin? I've come up with seven suggestions that might help. Here's what I've come up with. Number one, consider the explicit consequences of the temptation. In other words, in the end, what will it bring? Is it worth it? We need to discern the ramifications of what we're going to do, the action that we're going to take, and where it's going to lead us. Don't be like the simple young man who lacked discernment in Proverbs 7, 7. Secondly, don't expose yourself to a situation where you know you're going to be tempted. Stand on your guard. Avoid anything that will cause you to be easily persuaded to sin. Third, expose the deeds of darkness. Sin wants to stay in the dark. You shine the light into it. Shine God's light there. Also, we can expose those deeds through scripture. That's how we do it. The deeds of darkness are mentioned in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Speak the word of God against sin in your life. Next, if the temptation is strong, focus on God's word and pray. Take the sword of God's word and fight, beloved. Memorize and recite scripture. Psalm 119, 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Romans 12, 2, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Next, call upon the Lord and acknowledge his presence. Start to focus on praise and worship. Invite the presence of God by praising and worshiping him. Remind yourself of his closeness and contemplate his presence in and around you. 1 John 4, 4, Isaiah 55, 6. Sixth, if you fall into temptation, go immediately to God in confession and repent. 1 John 2, 1. 1 John 1, 9. And lastly, share your personal struggle with someone close to you, a mature Christian or mentor. Be accountable to someone. We need someone to be accountable to, someone who will watch with us and pray with us and ask us those tough questions that we really don't want to hear, but we need to. Proverbs 27, 17, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Let's turn our attention now to the last part of our outline, which is God's truth revealed. Let's read Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. 
You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. What a beautiful passage of scripture. Number one, question. In verses 13 and 14, how does David reflect on his growth inside his mother's womb? David says to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. The Lord had first claim on David's life, for he had created him. The Hebrew word translated inner parts can refer to the kidneys. Kidneys in the Hebrew mindset sometimes designated the place of emotion and affection within the body. David then affirmed that God knit him together in his mother's womb. The word translated knit me together stresses God's perfect care for David's unformed body. And then in verse 14, David said, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. In the Hebrew, this contains the ideas of awe and wonder. As David pondered God's amazing power, he more fully appreciated how the Lord had made him. Number two, question. What do verses 15 and 16 reveal about God's intimate knowledge of David and of us? This will be our final question today. In these verses, David affirmed his frame was not hidden from the Lord inside his mother's womb. God saw and cared for David when he was made in secret. David used an unusual metaphor claiming he was woven together in the dark of the womb. The Hebrew word translated woven occurs elsewhere in scripture when it describes the weaving of multi-covered cloth for the tabernacle. Exodus 26, 36 and 27, 16. What a beautiful picture of God's creative handiwork in the womb. God saw David's life and purpose from beginning to end before David was born. A thousand years later, the Apostle Paul would affirm that David served God's purpose in his own generation. Acts 13, 36. And likewise, beloved, God has a plan for each and every one of us. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our study today. To recap, the theme for today's study declares that God values all human life. The prophet Ezekiel was called by God to confront Israel in their worship of idols and the resulting devaluing of human life. Then the psalmist David declared that God plans the conception of every child and gives each person distinctive qualities and purposes for God's glory. Next week, we're going to move into the book of Daniel, our second part of the study, and we'll be studying Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 21, and we'll talk about how believers can live with integrity when tempted to compromise. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for taking time once again to join us today. We're so thankful. I am so grateful you're with us. I look forward to seeing you and or speaking with you again soon. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. 
a real God, real hope.